1 John, if you were here last night, we looked at the first few verses. We're actually going to go up to verse 10. Last night was kind of the light version. This is a little more heavy duty this morning. So, um, As we read through John, he kind of assumes that we have a problem. It's like Houston, we have a problem. And he's dealing with uh, Gnosticism, which is this, uh, you know, so, so many of the uh, writers, even today, when we say things, we're reacting to something. We're responding to something. And so you read what they're writing and you realize, boy, they're kind of angry about something or they're really defensive. And John is defending the faith. And he's defending against people that, that Gnosticism said, matter is bad. Matter is bad. Therefore, Jesus, he can't really be a person, a full human being, because then he would be bad. Because matter's bad. Therefore, Jesus wasn't a real person. He was a phantom. And John's saying that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And what he's saying is without a real Jesus who really died as a propitiation for our sins, if you don't have a, a real Savior, you don't have a real salvation. And so what we realize when we first start this uh, is he's writing about restored fellowship and he's just assuming that we would understand that there's a problem that there's this brokenness in the world and this broken relationship begins vertically between us and God and then creates all kinds of horizontal problems both of our actions to sin and then often so often our reaction to other people's sin and so this brokenness began in the, in the garden when Adam and Eve rejected God's counsel and wisdom and chose the serpent's counsel, doubting God's word, and they decided for themselves that man would be the measure of all things. No, I will determine for myself what is right and wrong. And Adam and Eve both did that. They thought they knew better. And it created all kinds of pain, heartache, and suffering. They're ashamed they hide from God, and we've been running ever since, and there's this big problem. Well, there's this bumper sticker that says, and I don't know if anybody's seen this bumper sticker or not, and it says, Eve was framed. Do we got a clip of that there? Well, well, we'll pull it up in a second, but there it is. How about that? Eve was framed. Now, as you think about that, and there's probably... Several different ways you could read into that. I look at that as saying, God's the problem. God framed Eve. And it's implying that it really wasn't her fault. It was entrapment. She was set up to fall. And my answer to that, I'm, I'm getting to the text here, but I want you to think about something for a minute. My answer to this is Jane Austen books and movies. All right? You ready? Let me... Let me trace this rabbit trail down for a minute and we'll lead into 1 John. I was thinking about Jane Austen movies and I actually haven't read the books and I should read them but and how they're like the gospel and it's like this in so many of of the Jane Austen stories okay the guy that initially seems like he's Prince Charming in reality he's more like the Grinch who stole Christmas okay and the guy she initially thinks is really kind of a Scrooge Turns out that over time she discovers that he's amazingly generous, amazingly self-sacrificing, and the boomerang comes around on her, 
And she realizes how harsh she's been and judgmental and wrong, and she realizes that she's really in love with this person. Well, isn't that like the gospel? We think God is the problem. Eve was framed, and that he isn't loving and good. He's more like the Scrooge. Life isn't fair. He didn't answer my prayers. He allowed something bad to happen. He's harsh and demanding. And we have to come to realize as we get bathed in in reading the scriptures, wait a minute, the truth of the gospel is the boomerang comes around and we start to realize we are the selfish problem who just wanted a God who would revolve around me and my needs. But then we start to see that God is unfathomably gracious, loving, merciful, and good, and he wins our heart and we discover that we're in love with him because he first loved us. Now, I knew this couldn't be a new, newer novel idea, so I Googled it and found somebody much smarter than me, uh, Dr. Jerem Bars, who's a professor at Covenant Seminary, who Matthew gets to sit under, said this in an interview about Jane Austen books. He said, in several of the books, the main characters have experiences of a profound and permanent transformation, which reads like a conversion or deep repentance, where they see their own blindness, moral failure, and lack of self-knowledge. This is true of both Elizabeth and Darcy and Pride and Prejudice, of Marianne and Sense and Sensibility, and of Emma and Emma, and also to a lesser extent of Anne Elliot and Persuasion, Catherine and North Hanger Abbey, and Edmund and Mansfield Park. It is the individuals who fail to come to this realization of their own folly who do not repent whose lives come to ruin and disgrace of increasing shallowness and perpetual self-indulgence. Wickham and Lydia, Miss Bennett, Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice, Lucy Steele, Robert Ferrars, John and Danny Dashwood in Sense and Sensibility, Miss Norris, Maria Bertram, Henry and Mary Calford, and Mansfield Park. So he says there is a moral and Christian vision communicated in these Jane Austen books. And he says, this, I believe, is what is touching a deep chord in the hearts and minds of our postmodern contemporaries. So as we look at God's word this morning, we need to have that boomerang come around on us afresh because actually what John is actually talking about in reading this is is he actually talks about who the liar is, that would be us, who gets deceived, who ends up making God out to be a liar, and yet we see in this text who is faithful and just, who, who purifies us from sin, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness, who restores our fellowship with him and with one another. It's our loving Savior. It's our God. So hear God's word. Verse John, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes. This is John saying he is an eyewitness of these things. And he says it several times here. Which we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me pray for us. Father, to many of us, a very familiar text, and we pray that we would not be bored with it, but that we would be making much of it, and that it would examine our own hearts and lives, and pray that you would renew our communion with you. We thank you, and we ask that your spirit now would, would take this word and apply it deep into our hearts, that it would bear good fruit to your glory. Amen. Well, some of you, this is going back in time a little bit, but Detective Joe Friday from the TV show Dragnet, he used to have a saying he used all the time, and it went like this, just the facts, man, just the facts. And there it is, just the facts, man. Well, when you read 1 John, you feel like it's like Dragnet personality speaking, just the facts, just the facts, because he's very, very simple statements, light darkness, love, hatred, truth, error. I mean, just bang, bang, bang. Very, very simple, just the facts. And there's three main themes, like a triad, that keep running throughout the book, and here they are. It's light versus darkness, which is a call for us to walk in the light. There's a constant contrast between love and hatred and for us to walk in love, and a constant contrast between truth and error and a call for us to walk in the truth. Now, these three strands will weave in and out of the letter, okay? And what I want us to consider this morning, three things. John's proclamation, his purpose, and then his first paradigm, because he's constantly giving kind of a pop quiz or a pop exam to say, okay, test yourself. How you doing? And there's a five-fold test at the end of this chapter that we'll get to. So first, one and two is John's proclamation. What is he proclaiming? And he's proclaiming the preexistence of Christ and a physical body of Christ, that he's fully God, fully man. So verse one, we see the preexistence of Christ. And so just the facts, verse one, he says that which was from the beginning. And then in verse two, he says the eternal life, which is a person, not just a concept, it's Jesus. If you wanna have eternal life, you have to know him. We don't gain eternal life. We don't, we don't work for it or buy it. We know it. We come to know Jesus Christ, who is the eternal life, which was with the Father. How was he with the Father? He's always been with the Father. And he was made manifest to us. He became a human being. That's John's witness. And, and John has a lot to say about this in the Gospel of John. So let me just remind you of of John kind of bringing you back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, which says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. When we think of Jesus, we need to first think of him as creator. He's the creator of the universe. The creator became a creature. That's what's so amazing about Christmas. 
Jesus says about himself in John 5, 17, he, said, he answered them and they, he says, my father is working until now and I myself am working. That's pre-existence of Jesus. He's saying basically we've always been working and they picked up stones ready to kill him. And then he goes on to say, well, just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. Aseity is the doctrinal term that means life in himself. It's something that we don't have. Our very breath is borrowed. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, that he's always been. And they picked up stones again. And the book ends at 1 John here. He says, the life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it, proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. Well, the book ends at the very end, we come back to it. And we know that the Son of God has come. Christmas. He's given us understanding so we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's the true God and eternal life. And so T.F. Torrance, commenting on this, he says, there is in fact no God behind the back of Jesus. No act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in him. If you're wondering, well, who is God? What's God like? Wonder no more. He's revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ is the open heart of God, the very love and life of God poured out to redeem humankind, the mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save sinners. All things are in God's hands, but the hands of God are the hands of Jesus, and life and in death are the same. And so the word of life did not come merely into existence at Bethlehem. He already existed from the very beginning with the Father. The phrase with the Father is, is this phrase in, in Greek that means prost, face to face, couldn't be any closer. The closest sort of face-to-face relationship existing in the eternal mystery of the Godhead. It was the everlasting word that became the human Jesus. There's no separation now between the two. It is both true that there never was a time when the word was not, yet there was a definite moment in time where the word of life became a human being. And so that's what John is testifying to, the physical body of Christ reacting against Gnosticism. And he's saying the emphasis is on the seeing. Notice how in verse 1 and verse 2 and in verse 3, three times he says, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. And this word looked that's used here at the beginning as well. He's saying, we've seen him with our eyes, which we've looked upon. This idea of looked upon, let me just give you a couple of lexicons understanding here so we get it's just a little bit more than just looked taken note of contemplated looked very carefully gazed upon behold to observe something with continuity and attention often with the implication that what is observed is something unusual with a supernatural impression to watch behold or gaze upon as remarking something significant this is like, you know, we fast-forwarded and, and we rewound and we, and we went back over this again and again and again because we contemplated this. And there, he's saying it's real. There's an old hymn that maybe you guys re- remember this song that 
we would sing at Easter and sometimes during the year, and I used to grew up singing this. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, John is saying just the opposite of those cheesy lyrics from the old hymn. There's truth in that, but that is, that is bad theology. John is saying he lives, he lives. We, he, we walked with him and talked with him along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives? I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. He's real, he's not just in my heart, he's a real person. There's a real Jesus and a real savior who's come down from heaven to earth. You see, the apostle John is responding to something. He's responding to this idea that, that matter is bad and Jesus wasn't really a person. He's saying, no, he's really a person. He's a real person. He's a real Christ, and we have real forgiveness through a real gospel. Michael Reeves has this excellent book called Rejoicing in Christ, and I highly recommend it. And he says this. He says, the virgin birth, which we looked at this morning in the worship service, the virgin birth is an almighty no to all our silly attempts at earning salvation. It means that before Jesus is ever an example to us, a model of love and goodness, he is something we cannot be. In his birth of a virgin, he was not giving us an example. He was coming as a savior. Martin Luther put it like this. The chief article and foundation of the gospel is that before you take Christ as an example, you accept him and recognize him as a gift, as a present that God has given you and that is your own. And Reeves goes on to say, otherwise Christ is of, of little more help to us than any other good person. And we have no good news at all. The virgin birth guards the very goodness of the Christian good news that here is a supernatural intervention, supernatural salvation. That's the gospel, that's what Christmas is. Jesus didn't just come as our example, he came as our savior. So verse three and four, now that we've considered John's proclamation, let's consider John's purpose. His purpose, he's saying, is to restore our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships to one another. Psalm 16:3 says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. That is far from the cry of the natural human heart until changed by the Holy Spirit. Until changed by the Holy Spirit, we'd say we'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, as Billy Joel sings about. And so what John is getting at here is he's saying, here's the purpose of why Christ has come. And he gives a bunch of so that's in this little epistle, or if you're into Greek, it's called henna clauses, and there's a bunch of them, and anytime you see a henna clause, or or in English, it's a so that or an order that, those are important. And just look at, look at verse three and four, and then chapter two, verse one, and we get three purposes of why the, the epistle was written. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we get another one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that 
You may not sin. And so, like I said at the beginning, John assumes that we understand there's a problem. And the problem is we're not in right relationship with God or one another. We're not just born into this right relationship with God and born into this right relationship with one another. Rather, just the opposite. We are broken. And our fellowship with God is broken. Our fellowship with one another is broken. And it began in the garden. And when man became the measure of all things and we decided we would determine for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. And then you have Cain and Abel. And, and we have murder. And we have blaming one another. And, and, and Adam, not even naming his wife anymore. The woman whom you gave, you gave her to me, she gave to me. And they're mad as hornets at one another. And so when we think about Christmas, we think about Jesus coming to us. We see God's reaction to our action. Our action is sin. God's reaction is grace is condescension. He comes to us. This is amazing love. We take, I mean, we, we take fellowship for granted. Listen, to, I mean, this, this first paragraph of Spurgeon's sermon, it made an impression on me. I want you to hear this. He has a sermon on this chapter. This is how he says, beginning of the sermon, fellowship with God was one of the richest privileges of unfallen man. The Lord God walked in the garden and talked with Adam as a man talks with his friend. So long as he was willing and obedient, Adam ate of the fat of the land and among the rich dainties and wine of the lees, well refined, of which his soul was a partaker. We must remember, we must number first and foremost unbroken communion with God, his father and his friend. Sin, as it banished man from Eden, banished man from God. And from that time, our face has been turned from the Most High. And his face has been turned from us. We've hated God, and God has been angry with us every day. That's what the Bible says. Now, God in his anger still shows great love and compassion, but he's pouring out that wrath. God's wrath is being revealed, as, we, as Romans talks about. And so we see God coming to make peace with us. And so let's take the pop quiz the paradigm. Do you have this fellowship this morning? Are you walking with God? Are you walking in the light? Do you have fellowship with him? Because John, you know, he's constantly trying to wake people up that he thinks that they're, they're either in the church, but they're not really part of Christ. And so he's giving these addresses to wake them up. And so in each of these uh, sections, he gives three basic tests. And he wants to know if we're walking in the light. Are we walking in love? Are we walking the truth? So here's five tests <clears throat> five questions here, okay? Five tests of assurance to check and see if you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And fellowship is the key word here in this first chapter. And it has to do with communion with Christ as a result of our union with him through sonship. And so first he gives three false tests, okay? And in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, they have to do with people who say things they say all the right things, or they say the wrong things, but it begins with they say we have fellowship with him. If we say we have fellowship, oh, I, I love him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. Or then if we say we, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's three false tests. So what John is saying practically, he's saying, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, and to walk in darkness means throughout 1 John, it's, it's we hold on to grudges. We actually hate people. 
We, we love the world and its pleasures. We love the lust of the eyes. We, we look at pornography, the lust of the flesh. We sleep with our girlfriends. That's the kind of stuff John's talking about. If you say, oh, I love him, but you're walking in darkness, then you're lying. He's saying you're lying. You're not practicing the truth. There was a 70s rock song called Spirit in the Sky. Some of you guys remember that. It was a very catchy tune. And the last verse is not so, so catchy. It, it's, this is what he says. Never been a sinner, I never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus. So you know that when I die, he's going to set me up with the spirit in the sky. Now, if we just use the political facts grid that was used for every political debate, we have true, mostly true, half true, mostly false, false, or pants on fire. <laughs> what do we got here? We got pants on fire. Okay, how about you this morning? Where are you on that grid? You see, do you see your need for a savior from your sin? Then we have two true tests. And here are the true two tests. That's a hard thing to say. Two true tests. Wow, tongue twister. Here we are, verse 7 and verse 9. If we walk in the light, if we confess our sins. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and walk, and what, and here's the interesting, if you read the Gospel of John, if you can find the word repent, come and show me, because you're not going to find it. But this is him saying repent. This is what repentance looks like. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, if we repent, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we jump into the light and we want to be with God's people and we want to be in fellowship with one another and be right with God and we're no longer giving God the Heisman and the stiff arm and tell him to move over, I want to keep my distance from you. No, I want to be as close to you as I can. That's walking in the light. And then if we confess our sins, you see, it's just natural as God begins to, his spirit starts to turn on the lights and we say, oh, it's true. It wasn't just true a long time ago that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner this morning. I'm a sinner this afternoon. I'm a sinner this evening. I need his grace every moment of every day. And as these things come up, we confess our sins. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the rest of the book goes through. And I'll just read you. I just want you to listen. I want you to, to have this idea of truth and lies. Where are you this morning? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 1 John 4. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar 
because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life, but whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. At the same time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? Little children, let's, let us love in word and not in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. They are from the world and they, therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And we know the son of God has come. He's given us understanding that we might know him who is true and we're in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from big, fat lies. Keep yourself from idols and things that are not of the truth. He is the true God and eternal life. Everything else is a substitute. He's come to give you the gift of gifts of which nobody else can ever give you. Nothing you've gotten today, a week from now, you're going to be like, well, what was that? Maybe even by tonight. But this gift is something we'll be pondering for eternity. And it will never get old, never wear out. We'll always treasure it. And he will treasure us as well. Let's pray together. Lord, make us lovers of God, not lovers of pleasure. Take your word now, Lord, and make us more like you. Pray that we'd not be conformed by the world, but be transformed. Would you transform us by this word? Take these scriptures in First John, and may we test ourselves. And may we see that we are in love with you because you loved us. May we come clinging and running back to you continually in fellowship with one another and with you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that purifies us from sin, and we have much of it. So we ask that you cleanse us even now. Thank you that you're faithful and just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.